Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. What do you think of uh, when I say celebration? Like, when you hear the word celebration and you want to celebrate, what usually comes to your mind? Usually, you know, it is different things like birthdays. And I tell you what, birthdays in our house are a huge deal. Like, we go all out, and it is because of my wonderful wife who does that. She actually, each one of our children gets to pick their own meal, like what they want to eat, and their own dessert, their own cake. And it could be anything. Uh, and it is quite the, uh, quite the celebration. And so she spoils them in that way. Like, for example, this past, my birthday just passed, and she asked me, like, what I wanted to eat, and so I decided to have a burger bar. I'm like, if you can make those big, fat burgers, and, and we can have, like, different things we can put on. We can put, like, bacon and onions and eggs and, like, just load those things up. And uh, so she did. And then I got my own dessert. Usually the kids, when they pick out their dessert, is like uh, a, a, a double chocolate cake. But everybody has their own special dessert that they do. And it is a celebration. But it is a celebration that kind of revolves around what? Food. It revolves around food. Um, especially if you think about this time of year, when you think about holidays and what it means to celebrate, uh, it's all about the food, right? Um, I asked, uh, this past Wednesday, we had a youth Christmas party, and I was back there, and I asked the youth, I said, so what, what's your favorite thing about Christmas? And, you know, there was, like, the lights, and there was, of course, somebody said Jesus, and I'm like, okay, that's good. Uh, but then, of course, somebody says food. It's all about the food, and they're exactly right. That's one thing that we just enjoy about Christmas. Actually, from Thanksgiving, if you start there, like the pumpkin pie, and then it's just like a feast of, you know, holidays all the way through Christmas. Why? Because we celebrate with food, and we enjoy it. Um, now, I want you to think about a wedding for a second. Um, food is so important at a wedding, and if you've been to a wedding, you realize, or if you've had a wedding or been a part of a wedding, it is a big deal. Like, a lot goes into the food and the planning, and I remember going to uh, food tasting events and if you've ever been to those, it's pretty fancy. Like you go and you show up and they have all the choices all spread out. And then you get there and you feel like a king. Then I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try this. And then you get to choose what your meal is for the wedding. It is, a, it is, a, it is a, once again a big deal. And I remember over the past three years, we've had four weddings in our family. So four, four of my sons have gotten married in the past three years. And it has been lots of weddings, but lots of food. And I remember uh, some of the things that were so good about the food at the wedding. One thing, in one of my son's wedding, and I could not believe this, I'd never seen this, there was glazed bacon on a stick. I'm like, wow. So you just walked in and they were all like standing straight up and you could just go up and grab glazed bacon on a stick. I'm like... That is fantastic. Why didn't I think of that? And at one of the other weddings, there was a gourmet popcorn, and they had like baskets and baskets of different flavored popcorn, and it was all delicious, right? And all of that was what? Because it is a time to celebrate. It is a time to come together, and food is such a big deal in that. I was thinking about this, and I just uh, ran into Bobby Nemeth uh, walking in. I was asking him uh, about when they got married in 2017, and I remember going to their wedding, and one of the things I remember most about their wedding is they had a donut station. 
It was like a beautiful station with like, and this is, this is a huge thing, like, and it was just wonderful. And I said that to my wife this week, and she's like, you don't remember anything, but you remember the donut station? I'm like, yeah, I remember the donut station. That was fantastic. Um, so food is a big deal. And if you think about the cake, think about all the money that goes into the cake and what that looks like. The average price for a wedding cake is $500, $500. Um, anywhere from 300 to 700 is what people usually spend on a wedding cake. So do you see how important all this is? But why? It is because it is a celebration. It is a feast. Um, last week, you know, in the, in the youth, I thought this was fantastic. We were talking about um, uh, creation. And one of the things that we're talking about is there's specific kinds. And Andy was teaching last week, and he was teaching specifically about different seeds and like different things grow and how God makes cre- creation and how wonderful it is because he makes different food. And this really stuck with me because then I started to think, you know, God makes different foods and different flavors. Like, and he said this to the youth. He's like, think about it. We could all be like eating dog food. It could just be like packaged dog food, like little kibbles, and that's what we eat every day. But no, God in his wisdom and his mercy and let us enjoy food, enjoy tasting food, all the different flavors and, all, and everything that goes into that. And what a blessing that is. So God created us to be able to taste and enjoy food. Um, and I remember if, if any of you had COVID, and that was not fun. COVID was not fun. And what happened? A lot of people lost their taste. And I know people that still, even after that, struggle with having their taste back. But once your taste is gone, like, you don't enjoy food the same way. Uh, it's just something about that. So God has given us that blessing to be able to taste and enjoy food. Well, in the text today, Jesus is questioned about fasting, And uh, he answers with three parables as he goes through this. Uh, The first is a wedding feast. And then there's two other examples that make the point even further. And we'll dive into that today. So instead of fast, it's a feast. And what does that mean? There is a deeper meaning in this when we dive into the text. If you kind of read through it or if you saw the heading there, it's called a question on fasting, right? But this is really a bigger picture what fasting uh, represents and what Jesus represents as we dive into that today. So this season, as we reflect on celebrating, uh, let's see what Jesus teaches about this. Um, And like I said, there is a larger meaning here that we will dive into. It's much more than just a ritual as uh, as we learn more and more about this. So just to review just a little bit, uh, as we continue in Mark chapter 2, uh, Mark was written by John Mark, and I want to, if there's anybody here today who does not, uh, who hasn't been with us, I want to just uh, get you up to speed on where we are as we teach uh, through the text. So we're in chapter 2 still, and um, this is one of the Gospels, it's one of the synoptic Gospels, which means if there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's a, a little different in the way that it is written, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels, which means that there's many things that you can see, uh, that you can compare because the stories are the same, but they are written to different audiences. So as you study these Gospels, you can go to different ones to get a different view of what is happening in Jesus' ministry, and we're thankful for that full view. So this one in Mark is written to a Gentile audience. Uh, it is the shortest Gospel, um, and we've seen so much happen in two chapters, right? And just to, kind of, just to name a few, we were introduced to John the Baptist, Uh, Jesus is baptized and affirmed by the Father. Jesus begins his ministry and calls his first disciples. 
Uh, Jesus then begins healing, casting out demons, and preaching, and everyone is amazed by him and what he is doing. He is drawing huge crowds, and people are, are paying attention. The word is spreading about him. Um, he continues to turn everything upside down because they begin to question him and everything that he's doing. He claims authority to forgive sins, and that was an astonishing statement that he said. And when he was saying that, he was saying that he is God, that he has that authority. Um, and then, last week, he surprises everyone by getting a new disciple that no one would expect, one that nobody would choose. Uh, we see that it was Levi, or Matthew, as we know, um, and he was a tax collector, the lowest of the low. And then, what does he do? He spends time dining and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees are shocked by this. Like, how could he do this? And who he's spending time with. Uh, last week, the next step was respond like Matthew and Levi. Uh, how he responded to Jesus and how he followed him was where we were going, and, and that was our next step. So as we look at where we left off in Scripture, I want you to remember this. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Um, so this leads to the question today about fasting. So they saw him doing that, and that is where we pick up today. Now, fasting is a ritual established in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that so you guys can understand really the purpose and what that looks like. But what is our big idea today? Our big idea is this. Old Testament rituals... Do not mix with Jesus' mission. Old Testament rituals do not mix with Jesus' mission. We see old and new here that do not mix, and that is the rub as we go through this. Out with the old and in with the new. We have an old covenant and a new covenant, and we will talk about that more as we go through the message. There's a contrast between the old and the new that Jesus reveals here. So let's look at the text and see what Jesus reveals about the new, all right? So, and then we'll see how that affects us in our application when we study the text. So starting in verse 18, let's read that and we'll start there. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now, once again, they were trying to, you know, nail him on something, right? They were trying to discredit him as they were talking to him. And they were bringing up this point that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, but his disciples weren't fasting. So this wasn't something that they saw was right. So just to give you some idea about John's disciples and the background there, I want to read from John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Now, this is John the Baptist explaining to his disciples who Jesus is. So I want you to see this background. It says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. One of my favorite verses is right here. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John there is pointing to Jesus. He is the one that comes before him, just like it was prophesied, and he points to him. And there, as he describes who Jesus is, what does he call him? He calls him the bridegroom. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, 
Jesus refers to himself in our text today as the bridegroom also. And when we look at the bigger picture, what does that mean? That means if he is the bridegroom, then who is the bride? The bride is his church or his followers. That is the bride. And as we see that it, um, the bridegroom and the bride will be united uh, in Revelation. And it is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of what marriage is. So he says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So John refers to himself as a friend of the bridegroom. Once again, pointed to him. He must increase, I must decrease. Um, so John's disciples at this time, and, and at this time, if you look over in Luke, we know that John has been arrested. So John the Baptist is in jail. So his Disciples are fasting at this time. Um, so John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, and, but the Pharisees are fasting twice a week. Um, and we see that in Scripture. Now, I want you to remember the context, again, of the Scripture and where it is coming up. Because Jesus and his disciples were just dining with the sinners. So the first question they asked was what? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? So the next question they're asking is, well, why don't you fast? And do you see how they relate? So what do we see here first about Jesus and the old and the new as we look at our points today? First one is Jesus did not conform to old rituals. Jesus did not conform to old rituals. His choices were not what they, what they expected. And these rituals, um, remember, they were fasting twice a week. And actually, Old Testament practice was only required that they fast once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And I want to read this to you. Uh, in Leviticus uh, uh, chapter 16, verses 29 through 30, it says this, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. So that is what it's referring to. That is the, um, this, on this day you shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And part of that was fasting for that day. Um, and it says, you shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sin. So fasting was required, but it was one time in the year. So, but fasting twice a week had become a, a Pharisaic practice. It was something that they had added on to the law and something that they were doing. And they had become self-righteous about it. Um, and I want to read this to you. And this prayer, this prayer says it all. Uh, in Luke 18, verses 11 through 12, it says this. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. So this is talking about a Pharisee, and here is his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, when you hear that prayer and, and you see there, what do you see? You see the pride. You see the self-righteous attitude that is being expressed. It's a self-righteous spirit. It's where his heart is. And in that moment, it's, it's like a humble brag. Like he's like, well, I'm praying. I'm praying for this person, but I don't want to be like them. And you know what? 
I also do this, and I also do this. You know, he is really being self-righteous in what he is saying and how he is expressing it. If you, if you look further in Matthew, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, it says this. Now, this is Jesus talking, and it says, and when you fast, so I want to make that point very clear. So it says, and when you fast. So the um, assumption is that we will continue to fast, and Jesus is saying, and when you fast, um, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you look at that, what do you see? You see a sense of humility in that right? That what were they doing? When they were fasting, they were making themselves look even more pathetic, right? By the way they dressed and how they acted and, and, their, and their faces were sunken in. And it reminds me of like when you call, like, have you ever called in sick to your job? Like, and you're like, well, I, you know, I feel bad, but I don't sound bad. And then you're like, hello, um, I just want to, you know, I can't come in today. And then you're like, my nose, I'm so sick. Like, you kind of act like, you know, you want people to, and that's, but they are acting in a way that they are showing that they're fasting and they're so miserable. Why? Because they're so self-righteous in what they are doing. So they're doing it for a show. So what is their heart behind this ritual? They're more focused uh, on their own glory rather than the glory of God. So what does that scripture Matthew say? It says, well, if you fast, nobody needs to even know about it, right? You should wash your face. You should look presentable. You should, nobody should even be t- tell that you are suffering or in anguish if you are hungry. So Jesus did not conform to old rituals. So was fasting, uh, was fasting bad? No, absolutely not. The way they were doing it was... The way they were doing it was. There is a time and a place for fasting. Jesus was saying, this wasn't the time. And why? Well, let's look at the next verse. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus answers with a parable about the wedding. And we, and we know that this is a wedding. It is a celebration, right? Jesus is the bridegroom here. Uh, now, as I said before in Scripture, the bride is the church, right? That is his followers. Remember John's statement as we read before. So the wedding guests represent the groom's friends or the disciples in this story and where he is referring to. So when they are with him, they cannot fast. They should not fast. Why? Because they should be celebrating. They should be celebrating that Jesus is with them. So what do we see here about Jesus and the old and new? Jesus' presence is a celebration. Jesus' presence is a celebration. And what a great illustration by Jesus. Can you imagine going to a wedding? I just went recently to uh, Jacob Parker and Jordan Parker now's wedding uh, just about three weeks ago. And could you imagine if I went to the wedding and I got there and I was like, you know what? Jacob, I just can't eat. I'm not going to eat your food. I'm in mourning right now, and I'm here, and I'm not going to celebrate. I'm going to mourn, right? 
That would be ridiculous. He has invited me to what? To come celebrate his wedding. It's a time of celebration for the bridegroom. Jesus' message to them was very clear. Weddings were so important. And I want you to think about this. There was no honeymoon. Like, we're used to like, well, we get married and then we take, you know, a week or two and we go off somewhere. That's not what they did. What they did was they did a week-long celebration with friends and family. Weddings were so important. And during these week-long celebrations, rabbis declared that joy was more important than the rituals. So they were excused from doing these rituals. So it would be very clear when Jesus told this story what he is saying. So Jesus' presence is a celebration. They should understand weddings are a time of joy, right? Not for fasting, not for mourning. Jesus' presence is a celebration. He brings joy and abundant life. You know, when you stop and think about it, I think about this for a second. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is reason for them to celebrate. And we got to step back and we got to look at that. So why do we celebrate? John 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. It says, I am the door. And this is Jesus talking. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will not go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus calls himself the door here. So when we look at that, what is that the door to? We talk about that is salvation, right? That is the gospel message. If you are here and you don't know God's plan, who Jesus is, all of us came into this world as a sinner. An enemy of God is what the Bible says. And we know that because of what happened in the fall, because of what Adam and Eve. But God, in his mercy, made a plan by sending his son because somebody had to pay the punishment for our sin. So Jesus came, being perfect, went to the cross, died on the cross, rose again, and paid that punishment. So we could go, we could be forgiven of our sins, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and uh, it is just a beautiful thing that then we have salvation. He is the door to that. He is the only way to that. So he calls himself the door there. In John 15, verses 10 and 11 If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Right? We talk about who Jesus is and does he bring joy. Yes, that this joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? It is abundant life that he brings. Um, And I would ask, do you have that joy? Have you made that decision to surrender your life to Christ because there is an abundant joy there that is just unspeakable. It is, it is uh, a joy that I just wish for all of you. So Jesus was pointing to the fact that they did not get it, right? They were out of touch with his message and what he was doing. It was not a time to mourn. Why? Because Jesus was with them. It's not a time to fast, but what? To feast, Not fast, but feast, an incredible thing that should be celebrated. So Jesus' presence is a celebration. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. You know, today when we sang the song Emmanuel, what does that mean? That means God with us. That is the whole reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came in the flesh. God came in the flesh 
because of God the Father's plan. And that is why we celebrate. That is why it is such a miracle on Christmas. He is with us. So when should they born? All right, well, let's look at the next verse. Verse 20 says this. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So this idea of he will be taken away, it says there in the scripture. Now, in that translation, it is a strong taken away. It's not like, well, he will be gently escorted away. No, that's not what it means. It's like a sudden removal or snatched away violently is what he is saying there in the text. Um, And it says the days will come. And what is that a reference to? It's to his coming capture, crucifixion, and burial, right? At that time, there will be mourning and there will be sadness uh, for the disciples. So what do we see about Jesus and the old and the new here? Jesus' absence will cause sadness. Jesus' absence will cause sadness. If his presence is a celebration, then when he leaves, they will be sad. There will be a grief. Um, If you think about Good Friday service, if you've had the opportunity to celebrate Good Friday service with us, we come together, and even when you get here on Good Friday, it is a, a time of reflection and mourning. And why is that? Because the reality of what Jesus did on the cross when he was being punishment, when he was being punished, is, is a thing that we need to reflect on. And when you come on Good Friday, we even like to, at the end of leave in silence. And why is that? Because it is a time of reflection. It is a time of mourning because we know we are going to celebrate on Sunday the resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24, verses 45 through 47, it says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You see right there in the middle of that text that that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. In God's plan, Jesus was going to suffer and he was going to take a brutal, brutal beating and and die just a gruesome death on the cross. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, it says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, because of him, we can be saved. From what? Now, a lot of times when we're talking, it's like, well, Jesus came and he saved me from my sin. Like, and I understand when we say that, it's like, well, my sin is the problem, right? I was born a sinner, but did he save me from my sin? No, according to that, that text, right? He is saving me from the wrath of God because of my sin. And that is a huge difference when we look at what he has done. Why? Because he took on the wrath of God. He took the wrath and he was punished for us. It says, they will fast in that day. 
That means mourn for his crucifixion. It is such a contrast if you look at it. Joy now and sadness then when he leaves. So Jesus' removal will cause sadness and mourning. Okay, let's go on to verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now, after the story about the bridegroom, he shifts here to make these two points an example of what he is talking about. So he talks about cloth, and then he talks about wine. So what is he saying here when we, when we go through this? Um, they illustrate both of these things. They illustrate the foolishness of trying to contain the new within the confines of the old. Now I want to say that again. They both illustrate the foolishness of trying to confine the new into the old. Now, have you ever shrunk your clothes? I, okay, so I'm the worst at this. So I, I, lo- I don't think my wife should only do laundry. I think I should do laundry too. And so I try to do as much as I can. But I, you know what I'm terrible at? I'm terrible at like sorting it. So I'll throw everything in. And I'm thinking, oh, these are all colors. And in goes the sweater and in goes the thing. And then after it's washed, I don't pull it out. And then what happens? I dry it. And then I'm like, oh, and it shrinks down, like really shrinks. So when we're looking here and he's talking about this idea, he's given this example to them about a cloth and a patch put on it. Now, if the cloth is already shrunk, right, and then you put a new patch on it, once it is stitched together, the whole thing is washed, what happens? The patch shrinks and it'll rip the fabric. That is what he's saying about this idea of this new patch on the old, like, because it hasn't been old, it's not pre-shrunken, once it's put on, it will tear the cloth away. So what do we see here about Jesus and the old and the new? Jesus did not come to mix with the old. Jesus did not come to mix with the old. He did not come to patch up the old. If you think about even the patch that he talked about here, he didn't come to patch up the old. This is something new that he is doing. So Hebrews 8.13 says this, And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready uh, to vanish away. Now there in Hebrews, they're talking about an old covenant and a new covenant. And he says, speaking of the new covenant, it makes the first one, that's the old covenant, what? Obsolete, right? Because the new one has come. Now, we talk about the old and the new covenant, and I wanted to explain this just a little bit in case you're like, I don't understand. Is it a covenant? What does that mean? Um, even reading it this week, I was, it was brought to my attention that testament is another word for covenant, which all the time that we go to the Bible and we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? We refer to that all the time. That is, testament is another word for covenant. So it's old covenant and new covenant, and that's how the Bible is divided, in the New Testament, right, we see the four Gospels, and that's where he is, and that's where Jesus' ministry starts. So, and I found this this week. I thought this was a great way to sum it up. Old Covenant says this, governed by a law that prescribed corrected behavior. So it's governed by a law that prescribed corrected behavior. So that would be works. That would be sacrifices. That would be all the stuff in the law that they had to do. And the people failed at So a sacrificial system to temporarily remove sins. This was given to the Jewish people. So that is the old covenant that we see. 
So what is the new covenant? The new covenant, sins are forgiven and removed by Jesus' sacrifice. People have a direct, intimate access to God. That is the beauty of it. And guess what? Now Gentiles are included in that. That is a quick summary of the old covenant versus the new covenant. It's not a fixed covenant, right? It's an old covenant and a brand new covenant. So in Matthew 3.17, it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He is the only one who could fulfill the law. So there's no longer a need to continue with the old rituals. He satisfies the requirements. Jesus did not come to mix with the old. All right, let's go to the last verse here, verse 22. And it says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Um, as we look at that, it's the same idea here, right? This idea of a patch or putting something new with something old. Um, you put wine, so what they would do, you don't think about bottles of wine, all right? You think about skins, goat skins that they would put wine in. And what would happen? Over time, as the wine would sit, it would expand in the goat skin, and the skin would expand with it, and that's how it was stored. So what is he saying here? We don't mix the old with the new. If you put new wine into an old goat skin, what, what will happen? It's already expanded, so then it will just burst. It will break. And that is, what, um, that is what he is referring to here. So if he didn't come to mix with the old, what do we see about Jesus and the old and the new? Jesus came to usher in the new. Jesus came to usher in the new. Now, Jesus referenced the new covenant during the Last Supper. And uh, he, when he met with his disciples in the upper room, I want to read this to you. This is Luke twenty-two nineteen 19, verses 19 and 20. Now, remember, this is before his crucifixion. This is when he is meeting with them. The disciples really don't know what's going to be happening here. So, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is what? The new covenant in my blood. Notice he is referencing his blood there. Why? He had to die. Here in just a few minutes, uh, we are going to be taking communion together. And I want to read through more of Luke as we go through it and as we take communion together. First, I want to go to Hebrews 10, uh, 15 through 18. It says this, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Do you see how in that, this is a beautiful thing that is set up. Jesus ushers in the new covenant. We said a couple weeks ago, the greatest miracle Jesus ever did. He did so many wonderful miracles, but what was the biggest miracle he ever did? 
It was to forgive sins, that he was able to forgive my sins. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. He is the mediator of the new covenant. And this is the beauty of the new covenant. Because of his blood, we now have new life. And this is the most beautiful truth. So as we look at uh, the second chapter here in the Gospel of Mark, we see the old versus the new, right? We have seen Jesus reveal truths about the old and the new. So Jesus did not conform to old rituals. Jesus' presence was a celebration. Jesus' absence, we'll call it them sadness. Jesus did not come to mix with the old. Jesus came to usher in the new. So as we look at this today, what is our next step that I want to, to, for you guys to think about? Our next step is this, very simple. Celebrate Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Celebrate what he has done. If you think about a wedding and you think about the picture that he said, it was a time for celebration. And you think of the magnitude for what he has done. He has given us the opportunity for new life. So we get the opportunity to remember what Jesus did by communion today, um, just as he instructed the disciples in the upper room. So right now I would ask that the uh, ushers would begin passing out the elements. Um, Now, I would say this. If you are a believer, if you're a a follower of Christ, we invite you to partake in communion today. Uh, if you have not made a decision to follow Christ, I'm, we are so glad you are here today celebrating, worshiping with us, but I would ask that you do not partake. You see, this was instructions that Jesus was referring to his followers here. Um, so just to kind of jump into this just a little bit, during the Last Supper, we see so much that Jesus was teaching them. Um, and remember, they did not understand. They didn't understand what was coming. They didn't understand what Jesus, how Jesus was going to have to suffer. Thank you. So in thinking about it from that perspective, they did not understand. Now, they were there to celebrate. This was a Passover feast, uh, was a symbol of what was to come. That's what they would celebrate each and every year, and that's why they were together. Uh, So it's a celebration and a tradition for the Jewish people. This Passover bread and cup that he was using as he gave it to them. He gives it new meaning, right? So remember the old to the new. So he is now taking these old symbols and he is making them new in what he is telling them. So the disciples, they didn't understand what was to come, that he would be taken from them. They didn't understand what Jesus would endure on the cross, but this was the reason that he was born in the flesh. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Now, I would ask you, after you receive the elements, I would ask that you wait and reflect and spend some time in prayer on Christ and his sacrifice for the new covenant. And then we will have some music playing, and as you pray, and then as I come back up, I want to read through the text that we, Luke 22, and as we read through it, then we will take together uh, to celebrate Jesus. So I will give you a couple minutes right now. As we read through uh, the text here and the events that happened at the Last Supper, I want you to remember that this is a way that Jesus has given us to celebrate him, like to remember who he is, and we get to do that together. So Luke 22, starting in 
verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take together. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. We praise you. This is a way that we can celebrate together, Father, and we're so thankful that through your word, you have given us this opportunity. We're so thankful for today, Father, and we just want to honor you in all that we do. So we praise you today. We worship you. We worship you for your plan, Father, that there is an, clearly an old covenant, Father, that through your plan that you have laid out that we can learn from, we can study, and we can see over and over again who you are through it. We see your heart for forgiveness. We see that you never change, Father. And Father, as we look at the new covenant, we see wonderful hope, and we see a grace and a mercy we know that we do not deserve. So Father, we are so thankful for that. Father, I just pray if there is anyone here who has not made that decision to follow you, that today would be that day. That they would understand that the new covenant is a way for them to surrender their lives, to be washed clean, to be forgiven of their sins. And Father, you give purpose and meaning to life. Father, you are perfect in every way. So we come to you humbly today and just worship you. We thank you. And Father, we just want to give you all the praise for it. So we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, he died and rose again for what? For the new covenant. And that is what he was saying today. You know, even as we, you know, take the elements together, what is it? It's food. Like we're taking in food. He used food in a way to show the symbolism in that, right? There's nothing magical about us uh, taking the bread and taking, and taking the juice. But what is it? It's us being obedient to him and everything that we do. It's a way that we can celebrate and remember him. So I want you to celebrate the greatest gift this Christmas season. Do not forget the reason for the season. Remember to celebrate Jesus. All right, and we'll celebrate him together. All right, uh, let me close in prayer, 
and then I'll dismiss. Father, we just thank you. We praise you for this time together today. And as we go out, Father, we just want to give you the praise for it. So thank you for this time together today. And I just pray as we look at this season, Father, we know that you have made a way, Father, that we can uh, celebrate this season. And Father, I just ask that you just keep our hearts focused on that. With so so many different things going on, uh, Father, we want to always focus on what is most important. So Father, we're so thankful for your plan, and we want to give you all the praise for it. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.